rocketed from a distant planet to a bold new destiny on Earth. Found by a Kansas family and raised as Clark Kent, he learned he possessed the strength of steel, the speed of light, and the desire to help all mankind. He is Superboy. Everybody. Welcome to episode 192 of the Man of Screen podcast. We're only a couple of episodes away from the end of my coverage of season three of The Adventure of the Superboy, the Falkland produced television show, which ran from 1988 until 1992. This week, I'm covering episodes 21 and 22, Jackson and Hyde and the Mind Games. The uh, first one uh, has Jackson drinking a potion and having some uh, split personality issues, kind of a Jekyll and Hyde type of thing, and in Mind Games, it's written by Sherman Howard, and uh, Superboy and Lex Luthor will get trapped in a mine, and they're going to have to help each other get out, which is interesting. They have some interesting conversation as they're uh, stuck in the mine. So before I get to that, I have feedback to address. Feedback here is from Dave McElvenny. Dave is writing in on Man of Screen, episode 181, and Dave writes, Greetings, Mike. I agree that Secrets of Superboy might have made a better season-ending episode, but I enjoyed these two episodes, even if they might have been better placed earlier in the season. Both of them have elements reminiscent of Silver Age comics I grew up with. Johnny Casanova and the Case of the Secret Serum, sound like the title of a Hardy Boys book, was silly and fun in a lot of ways. I had to wonder if Johnny and Stanley Ivanasek were somehow related to Jimmy Olsen, who, in the Silver Age, never seemed to encounter a serum or potion he wouldn't drink, or a wacky scientific experiment or device he wouldn't gladly try, no matter what weird transformation it caused. From turning into a werewolf, to becoming elastic lad, to growing one of those big bulbous heads indicating super-evolved intelligence, to becoming a giant turtle boy. I thought Johnny's transformation was slightly similar to Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde, except neither persona was really evil or harmful, and it was kind of humorous that the one who was the more charming was also objectively more annoying. Of course, since the remainder of the serum was returned to Johnny at the end of the episode, I have to wonder if there are or were plans for the character to return at some point. I particularly liked the liked that Superboy returned the serum and kept the secret of Johnny's dual identity. The woman called Tiger Eye also felt silver agey to me, with a mysterious villain who needs Superboy to use her power to further her plans for world domination. So she puts Lana in peril to force Superboy's cooperation. It was actually kind of fun to see Andy get involved and help out, which she doesn't usually do, at least intentionally. I did wonder a bit about how, when Superboy smashed the fused crystal, it broke the spell on Lana, returning her to herself. But it didn't do the same for the guy who had been transformed into a vulture. Ah, well. Who can fully understand the workings of magic? I'm looking forward to hearing your episodes on the third season, since you've made it clear that you're more familiar with the third and fourth seasons, and I guess you like those better, overall, than the first two seasons. Live long and prosper, Dave McElbenny. All right, uh, as always, thank you, Dave, for writing in. Yeah, I do think these two episodes would have been placed better placed earlier in the season, but they weren't, so that kind of is what it is. And, uh, yeah, the uh, Johnny Casanova and the Case of the Secret Serum does sound like the, t- like the title of a Hardy Boys book. Uh, didn't I make a comment about that? I thought I did. Maybe I didn't. But it is what it is. And, yeah, Johnny and Stanley Ivanasek. Well, we don't necessarily know if Stanley 
ingested the potion. It's clear that he knew what it was, but... And I seem to recall him warning Johnny against doing that. But he, you're right about Jimmy, though. He uh, never learned, did he? He always drank the serum or the potion or tried the scientific device. You know, Jimmy Olsen never learned. And yeah, I don't know if there were any plans uh, to bring Johnny back at that at any point. Because honestly, once we got to season three and four, the show became so different that there was probably no more room for that kind of Silver Age storytelling. I mean, there's, I mean, season three takes a far more serious turn with some of the episodes that we've dealt with, even and keeping some of the comic book elements too. And, but yeah, you know, it was a fun episode. Uh, yeah, and uh, I like that Dave pointed out that the uh, that he wasn't really evil or harmful, just humorous. That the one who was more charming was also more annoying, and I will say more slovenly too. Fat, he. Uh, with a slob of his food, uh, just absolutely a gross human being. And it's kind of ironic in a way that we're talking about this episode now because the first episode I'm covering, Jackson and Hyde, is going to deal with a potion. And the Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde connection is right there in the uh, in the title. So nothing really further to say about uh, Johnny Castanova. Again, fun episode, but not really much uh, beyond that. T- Woman Called Tiger Eye was definitely very silver ragey. And... Like, pretty much written, pulled right out of the Silver Age of Witch Needs Superboy to fuse this crystal together. And yeah, it is nice to see Andy get a chance to help out because, as it turned out, that was the last uh, time Andy got to help out, at least until uh, the Season 3 episode Special Effects, because I, I don't know when Elon Mitchell-Smith found out that he wasn't coming back for Season 3, but that is the last episode to feature Andy as a member of the original cast. And you know what? Dave's uh, wondering about how the smashed uh, crystal uh, broke the spell on Lana. I guess uh, once the magic was gone, its effect uh, wore off Lana. And But as far as uh, it not doing the same for the guy who was turned into a vulture, I don't know if I mentioned, mentioned it on the show, but I kicked around this crazy idea that these men that were around her, these uh, very handsome men that were around her, were actually animals that she turned into uh, people. And when, they, when she turned them into the animals later, she just kind of changed them back because she no longer needed them. So I always kind of kicked around the idea that the guy who uh, fell in love with her at the end there was actually a vulture, which is weird, but <laughs> it is what it is. Now, nobody fully understands the workings of magic, not even the writers. Uh, the writers, magic has the power of plot. And as far as the ending of Dave's letter about how I might like those better, that's true. I will say this, seasons one and two, well, they were good episodes of both seasons. I'm not going to shortchange them, but you know, there were also some bad ones. I will it's not the show I remember seasons one and two. Once we get to season three, or have gotten to season three, and you've heard me say it a lot throughout the course of my coverage of this season, this is the show that I remember. I the show that I remember was based in the Bureau for Extra Normal Matters, not the Schuster Campus. So once we move away from the Schuster Campus, it becomes the show that I was more familiar with and through that familiarity comes my nostalgia for it so that all i got on that you want to leave feedback man the screen at gmail.com now i'm going to take a quick break play a podcast promo when i come back jackson and hyde hang around folks when you think of podcasts about religion you probably think of this But at least one religion podcast sounds more like 
this. I kick ass for the Lord. Darkness to Light is a relatively geeky production in which Alan and Emily discuss topics of faith, religion, and spirituality. But we do so through the lens of pop culture, like movies, TV, and comic books, because we're nerds. Our primary focus will be on Christianity, because that's what we know best. But all religious content is on the table. Well, think about it, Scully, from vampirism to Catholicism. This is an occasional cast, to be recorded and released as the mood strikes, with topics ranging from in-depth reviews to personal rants about some small aspect of theology or church history, because we're theological nerds. If these topics interest you, check out Dorkness to Light blogspot.com for our more regular content or darkness to light.tumblr.com for our more irregular content memes and puns mostly my bad darkness to light often irreverent rarely sacrilegious all right welcome back folks uh, we're gonna start this episode off with Jackson and Hyde this is episode 21 of season 3. Original broadcast date was April 13th, 1991. Directed by John Hunick and written by Toby Martin. I don't believe I've called either of those names before. Guest cast included Heather Ellers as Gail Payton, Juice Newton as Alyssa, Barry Cutler as Hank, and Kelly Mullis as Brenda. Not sure who Brenda is, but... uh. Kelly Mullis will appear in the Lois and Clark second season episode, Individual Responsibility, in which she plays a woman uh, walking a poodle while Perry White is kidnapped by Intergang. Tiffany with an I, as I recall her character is called. And uh, that's all I got on that. I, re- I don't actually remember which character Brenda was, but there it is. So, our synopsis is brought to you by TV.com. A woman, Gail Payton, has brought in an lecture made by her father for Jackson to look at. I've seen a thousand of these, Miss Peyton. What is so special about this one? I just want to know what's in it, that's all. I can tell you that right now. It's called snake oil. They used to sell this stuff at traveling medicine shows. It's probably just colored water mixed with alcohol. No, this is more than that. I found these in the attic with the bottles. They're incredible testimonials. The elixir's supposed to give enormous strength to anyone who drinks it. And this, it's my great-grandfather's diary. I think you should look at it. Oh, we have a number of agents who would be delighted to do just that. I am on my way out. I've already spoken to an agent. He said you're the only one who could authorize lab work. Can I ask you why this is so urgent? You told me this bottle has been in your great-grandfather's attic for a hundred years. Surely another day or two won't matter. Oh, will it? No. No, I guess it won't. Good. But you are going to have it tested, aren't you? I'll drop it off at the lab on my way home. Read and report. Good night, everyone. Where's he off to in such a hurry? He's a civil servant, and it's five o'clock. You figure it out. As he drives home, he comes across an admirer of his, restored Chevy at a stoplight. Maybe this is Brenda. When the light changes, he tries to race her and flips the car on its side. A man tries to help Jackson, but can't get him out and leaves for more help. Jackson sees the elixir and drinks it. A moment later, the door flies off the car, and he jumps out. Just before his car explodes, he then violently punches out the man for leaving him. The next day, Jackson comes into work in a peppy mood, and everyone notices right away. 
Hi, boys. You know, morning. Morning. No, no, keep the change ready. Morning. Good morning. Kent. Chris Lang. My, what a lovely outfit. Thank you. Well, that was weird. Why, is there something wrong with my outfit? Dennis, are you okay? Fine, never been better. Are you sure? I just got this call, it hey, said- look, there's a mouse. What's going on? It's another mouse. <laughs> Ever since the renovation started, the place has been overrun by him. Think maybe it's time to call an exterminator? No, what? Kill the cute little devils? No. Well, I just thought that- No, no. Take him out back to that field. Let him be with his family. <laughs> now that's weird. Dennis? The police called. Said you were in an accident last night. I know, I spoke to them this morning. It was no big deal. No big deal? There was a fight at the scene, and then you disappeared. I must have been a little dazed. I'm fine now. And your car? It was totaled. Ah, it was falling apart anyway. You loved that car. It's just a hunk of metal. The important thing is no one was killed, right? Well, sure, but you seem to be taking it well. Why not? Life is too short. Whatever you say. Wait a second. Where are you headed? The usual. Some woman saw a UFO and wants to tell us all about it. Well, you never know. You never know. The universe is filled with the mystery and the wonder of marvelous things. Are you sure you're okay? Of course. You know, I've been thinking about this. I haven't been out in the field for months. I'm going out with you. A newspaper on Jackson's desk shows a headlining story about a woman being beaten to death. I wonder if that was Brenda who was beaten to death. Jackson and Matt go to the home of the woman named Elisa, who claims to have seen a UFO. I'm a singer at the Melody Maker down on Beekman. I sing country music. Mm-hmm. Now, what exactly did you see? Well, I saw three round lights, and they, uh, they passed right overhead. And I was on my way to the car, and it was about 2 o'clock in the morning. Three round lights. That's it? Well, they sort of hovered there, and then they just took off. Right. So, have you been doing this long? Oh, actually, I'm the bureau chief. I don't usually go out into the field. Oh, the take-charge kind. <laughs> I don't know about that. <laughs> oh, no, I sense that about you. It's very becoming. Oh, well, <laughs> thank you. Oh, well, where are my manners? I, I should get us some refreshments. You want me to leave? What do you mean? Come on, Dennis. It's obvious she's interested in you. What? There's nothing wrong with that. I could leave, and you two could get to know each other a little better. What are you talking about? This is an official bureau investigation. It's okay. Stay and ask around. Or at least wait until she asks you. You think she'd do that? 
What now? Where are you going? She's gonna come. Where's your friend? Uh, he asked me to apologize. He had to get back to the office. At the bureau, Clark is reading the diary of Professor Payton, Gail's father. This account says that minutes after taking his own medicine, Professor Payton could lift a wagon over his head. Sound like anyone we know? Hulk Hogan? I was thinking more along the lines of Superboy. I wonder if there's some connection. I don't know about that. But if this diary is any indication, Peyton was a sick man. Why's that? Because it sounds like two different people were writing it, even though the handwriting is the same. One's really angry and the other's kind of gentle. As Jackson and Matt enter the building, Matt tells Jackson that he should be more aggressive in his next encounter with Elisa. Jackson picks up a paper, which, is, which now has an updated headline saying the killer is still at large. Jackson goes to Gail's home looking for another bottle of the elixir. Well, hello. What are you doing here? The uh, lab's findings were inconclusive. They need another sample. You do have another bottle. Of course. Come in. I'll go get one. I'll be anxious to hear the results. It will be soon, won't it? Well, if I can get it there this time, we should hear shortly. I thought you said their findings were inconclusive. <laughs> yes, of course, that's what I meant. <laughs> it's been a long day. Sure. Now I understand. <sighs> Thanks for this. When I hear, I'll call you. So when Jackson leaves, she follows him. That night, Jackson goes to a nightclub, juicing up before he goes inside. Elisa has just finished a performance and is in her dressing room. Jackson enters and comes on really strong to her. Dennis, what are you doing here? I'm here because you want me here. You made that very clear this morning. Hey, are you drunk or something? What's wrong? You're interested this morning. Well, the guy that I was interested in was a gentleman. Yeah, well, I'm sick to death of being a gentleman. She scurries out the back of the club into an alley and Jackson follows. She tries to lock him inside a gate, but he rips it off. As the chase continues, Gail looks along from a shadow in a doorway. Elisa hides in a car and Jackson passes by. Then she is suddenly attacked through the car window. The following morning, Elisa is on the front page of the paper as the latest beating death. Matt takes the paper to Jackson's office and asks him about his whereabouts the night before. Matt, my boy. Beautiful day, isn't it? Hard to work on a day like this. Did you go see Alyssa last night? Yes. Well, actually, I got to the club's front door and then I guess I kind of chickened out. The rest of the night was just kind of lost. Kind of lost? Well, I had a couple of drinks and went home. Why do you ask? Have you seen this? And after Matt shows him the paper, he fears he was the cause and destroys the elixir. Jackson is leaving for the day until Gail calls him and says, she saw him the night before when Elisa was killed. Jackson leaves his office acting preoccupied, and Matt follows him. Jackson goes to Gail's house looking for her. He finds another bottle of the, of the elixir in one of the bedrooms and drinks it, as Matt comes in. Gail comes out of the next room and is acting strange. Matt tries to help Jackson, but he begins to attack him and knocks him out. Clark pulls up outside and goes in to see what's going on. You're taking it, too. How could I resist? With all it offers, strength. 
power, freedom from inhibitions. Why did you bring it to me? That wasn't me. The person who brought it to you was scared. She wanted to get away from it. But that person is gone. I killed her, like the others. The others? The woman at the convention center. That singer you wanted. You did that, why? Because I wanted to. Can you think of a better reason to do anything? <laughs> That's the ultimate power. Life and death. Do it. He's the only one who knows about us. Go on. Kill him. Well, what's wrong? Maybe you need some more of the elixir. Oh, no. I've had enough. Enough to know that I was wrong. I wanted what the elixir gave to me. I wanted it badly, but not badly enough to let myself become what you've become. It looks as if I was wrong about you. Some people can't ever stop being weak. So she hits him with a bat. She's about to do the same to Matt, who's still unconscious. Then Superboy crashes through the bedroom door and takes the bat from her. She tries to take a case of the remaining elixir and run but trips and falls down the stairs. Superboy turns her over, revealing that she died from the fall. The following day... So do you think Jackson's going to be all right? Oh, she'll be back to normal in no time. And I think it's best that we keep what happened among ourselves. We're crying out loud, will somebody get an exterminator? Yep. No time at all. <laughs> so this episode heavily features robert levine probably the most robert levine will get featured throughout the course of this series i can't really think of any other episode that's so focused on him i mean he's the the perry white of the series it's very weird to even see him outside of the bureau office so but this was a good showcase for Robert Levine, and it shows that he can do more than grouch about paperclips and think that everything that comes across the Bureau's front desk is a hoax. So, this episode starts with a woman trying to find out what's in this bottle that she's handed to Jackson. She says she found them in her house or something, and says that it was her great-grandfather's. For some reason, the uh, synopsis said it was her father's, and uh, she wants him to authorize lab work on what she says is a 100-year-old solution. Jackson is skeptical about it, as he always is, so he tells her that he'll drop it off at the lab on his way home, and really has. I'm not sure if he had any intention to do so, we'll never know for sure. So, Jackson leaves, and uh, the woman is Gail, and uh, she wants to know where Jackson went, and I love Lana's comment that, yeah, he's a civil servant, It's uh, and it's five. Yep, that tells us Jackson in a nutshell. He works his hours, and no more than that, he is... Uh, Cruising to retirement in just under four years, so he doesn't want to uh, rock the boat at all. He just wants to do his thing and ride off into the sunset when it's time to retire. So, it's night, Jackson is driving home, and Jackson's got a classic car, and looks like an old Pontiac, and he puts the bottle down on his passenger seat. And obviously, when the camera focuses on something like that, you know it's going to become a problem, and there's a young woman uh, who pulls up next to him, uh, flirts with him about the classic car. This must be uh, Brenda. And uh, then she says her grandfather has one just like it or had one just like it. And uh, I think Jackson was a little bit insulted 
so insulted that he was actually going to race this young woman. I mean, she batted her eyebrows at him a little bit and uh, flirted with him. And uh, we know nothing about Jackson's personal life. Uh, if Matt is encouraging him to ask Lisa out later, it's clear that he's single. I don't know if he's divorced, has any family. We, Like I said, we know nothing about Jackson. Just he's the boss. That's all we know. So maybe he's lonely and uh, maybe this uh, brief attention he's getting from this young woman is uh, perking him up a little bit. So basically what happens, though, his feeling his oats a little bit here. He gets him into a car accident and he overturns his classic car. And like I said, we don't know anything about Jackson outside the Bureau. So maybe I guess from what he tells us that he restored the car himself. So maybe uh, he likes to restore cars. That's one thing we know about him, I guess. But I just don't picture Jackson as impulsive enough to race this young woman down the down the road unless maybe there's some fumes from the potion that's affecting his judgment there's really no way to know but he does drink from from the bottle and he basically and gets out of the car as he explodes there was this guy who tried to help him but probably couldn't get any leverage to pull jackson out so with the feat of strength that he just showed here he kind of looks at the bottle and uh wonders what's up with this stuff so the man who was going to help Jackson comes up to him again and glad that Jackson got out and uh, Jackson knocks the guy out for his trouble. So I guess no good deed goes unpunished. I mean, the guy tried. So what we're seeing is that the potion, one, has increased Jackson's strength and it has increased his rage. Although he does keep his mental faculties. He just has no inhibitions and super strength. Not a good combination. So now it's uh, the next day. The uh, civil servant is back at the bureau and he is far more cheerful than usual to the point where i think he makes at the very least clark and lana uncomfortable matt sees it knows this is that a character for his boss and asks what's wrong and you're gonna we're gonna have a running uh i don't want to call it a subplot but it's a thread that runs through the episode of uh apparently the office building the bureau was in getting renovated and it uh disturbed a nest of mice so now they're all over the bureau and they catch one and they're all kind of hovering over it and Jackson actually wants to let it go. I have met nobody who wants to let a mouse go if they catch it. Everybody I know with regards to mice likes that satisfying little snap you hear in the mousetrap. So Matt is continuing to check on Jackson, who disappeared from the scene of the accident, which is a criminal act, something he can be cited for. And uh, Matt is shocked that he's taking the loss of his beloved restored car so well. Granted, his beloved restored car that we had never seen or heard about before. So well, there that is. So it seems as though the potion is still having an effect and his personality is showing extremes. Now here he has extreme uh, politeness and is cheerful and the other half is extreme and angry. And it's either one or the other, never the twine shall meet. So there's no nuance to his personality now that he's under the potion. And I guess his angry side is where Jackson's natural, natural skepticism comes from because you can immediately tell something's wrong when Matt says he's off to investigate a UFO claim, and Jackson's A, not calling it a hoax, and B, coming with it. So, as they're leaving, uh, there's a headline in the paper, which apparently the paper is just called Capital City. Not the Capital City, not the Capital City Times, Gazette, Ledger, Herald, Leader, just the Capital City. Okay, but at least it reminds us where we are. And there's a headline that says, Women Beaten to Death Near the Convention Center. No picture, but I'm guessing it was Brenda. Gotta wonder, Jackson? And it's kind of interesting, I'm wondering how long Gail's been following him because this seemed to be not far from where Jackson was. 
close enough to where Jackson was that we could think that he could possibly have done it. So now we have Elisa telling Matt about the UFO, and uh, she's making eyes at Jackson, and Jackson appears to be flirting back with her. And I'm wondering if uh, the bottle that he drank the night before is having, you know, maybe he's projecting some pheromones or something, I don't know. But Elisa is clearly attracted to him, and uh, when she goes into the kitchen to uh, get cookies or drinks or something, refreshments, Matt is kind of goading Jackson into asking her out, and then I guess that spooks Jackson, and he takes off, and uh, leaving Matt alone. And when Elisa comes out, she's clearly disappointed. If she knew where she'd end up by the end of this episode, she wouldn't be so disappointed. So Lana Clark and I guess this is Hank here are investigating the diary that Gail brought in, and Clark points out that it looks like it was written by two different people, two different handwritings, So, which is kind of what we're seeing with Jackson a little bit. Chipper and happy, mean and angry. So maybe uh, we're starting to see a connection here between the notes and uh, what's happening to Jackson. So now uh, Jackson's getting a little mo- little moodier, and uh, now we see another a follow-up in the capital city about the killer. The uh, In the beating death, it's still at large. So again, Jackson. That's what the episode is um, wants you to believe. But obviously, since Jackson's a regular, we know it can't possibly be him. So now Jackson is back at Gale's looking for another bottle of the potion. So I'm wondering if the bottle has some kind of addictive properties to it. And it seems as though Gale is uh, catching him in a lie as he says that the results were inconclusive and then says he'll get other results if he can get there in time. So that kind of mix up on Jackson's part didn't go unnoticed by Gale. She knows something's up. And here is Jackson. Uh, he goes to the club, ch- checks out where Elisa is and, uh, Takes another swig. I guess he's uh, using his liquid courage. And now mean and aggressive Jackson is coming out. And he marches into Elisa's dressing room. Coming on very strong. Far more strong than he would have this morning. And, you know, she was flirting with the good Dennis from this morning. Not this crazed Jackson with super strength. So it just looks like Robert Levine is having a lot of fun playing this role. And here is Gail having followed Jackson. And... Like I said, I wonder if this is the first time she followed Jackson. Maybe she followed him from the Bureau earlier in the episode as well when he got into his accident with the classic car. So now Lisa's terrified, running from Jackson. Jackson's chasing her, screaming out at her, and she gets away, at least from Jackson. And then we just see a bat hit Elisa's window. We don't see anything else. So, again, the show doesn't want us to know who the killer is at this point. But it did drop a clue by showing the scale. But it still wants us to think that... Or consider the possibility that Jackson might be the killer. But come on. Do you think a syndicated show from 1991 would write off a regular character like this? I don't think so. So, the next morning, Matt blows into the office in a good mood until he sees a newspaper with Elisa on the cover. That news uh, got around pretty fast. It it seemed like that happened late at night. I guess it didn't happen too late. Early enough for the paper to get it out. Second beating death. And cheerful Dennis blows into the office again, hungover. And Jackson has no memory of what happened the night before, and he sees an article about Elisa being beaten to death, and he's shocked. We don't know if it was him or if it was someone else, but we know he was pursuing her. And then he throws the bottle down, and I think this is the first time Jackson thinks that he might be the person beating these people to death, because he has no memory of what happens when the evil Jackson is brought out by the potion. I can only imagine when he comes down from it, he just kind of ends up somewhere confused probably at home it's unclear how long it takes the potion to wear off so now jackson is getting a phone call from gail payton in his office 
And she's saying that she saw him at the club. And when Matt hears who the call is from, he's got this look of concern on his face. Like he's not happy. And Clark, meanwhile, is uh, laughing at Lana, who is uh, is annoyed at having two mice on her desk eating her newspapers. I tell you, these are some brazen mice. They don't usually come out when there's a lot of activity. And honestly, anyone would have freaked out with two mice on their desk. But not Lana. So now Dennis leaves, and something is up with Matt in pursuit. And there's five minutes to go, and you know what? <laughs> this is the point when I realized we had not seen Superboy yet. We haven't seen the hint of a Superboy appearance in this episode at this point yet. It's been all Jackson and Gail and Elisa and Matt. So Jackson is now at Gail's house, and Jackson finds a bunch of bottles of the potion. And I don't get why he does this. He foolishly drinks another. And this is when Matt catches him. You know, Jackson kind of threw the bottle down in the office when he thought that he might be the killer. So I'm not sure why, when it's before him now, he decides to take another swig of it. Maybe there's something about the feeling that he gets that he can't resist. I don't know. So Matt catches up with Dennis, and he wants to take Jackson to the doctor to get him checked out. But evil Dennis just starts beating him up and throwing him through walls. And uh, Clark wants to follow Matt. And this is where we learn the truth, where our mystery is solved. Not through any detective work of on the part of the main characters, but by uh, the villain's monologue. She killed the first woman, Annalisa. And I'm kind of wondering that if you drink enough of that potion, maybe the change becomes permanent. However, the elixir can't change a person. Apparently, Gale already has the capacity to kill. Jackson doesn't, because it couldn't make him a killer. It may have taken away some of his inhibitions, but for Gale, it amplified what she already was. And it couldn't turn Jackson into something he wasn't which was a murderer, as he is not inherently an evil man. He might be pretty grouchy, but he's not evil. So Superboy saves both Matt and Jackson from Gale, but she takes the potion, trips, and falls down the stairs and dies. Nothing Superboy could do for her, so we don't see uh, Gerard Christopher's face, so we don't get the, uh, the look of guilt that he is so good at displaying. So The next day, Jackson is back to his uh, grumpy self, as our trio keeps his behavior to themselves, and... Now that he's back to normal, he's finally fed up with all the mice. And unlike before, he's not letting it free this time. You know, he, they kind of ran out the uh, ran out at him, and he almost tripped over him. And now he wants the exterminator. Good. Get those mice out of here by the uh, next episode, at least by the next time we see the Bureau. So, like I said before, this is one of those rare episodes that gives the focus to Jackson. And he seemed to enjoy playing the evil version of himself. But to be honest, this kind of plot line is not something we haven't seen a million times, and we'll never see it again. This could have very much been a Superman's pal, Jimmy Olsen type story, except it's played with the boss. Very Silver Agey. Writers love mining the potion, changing someone's personality gimmick. They did it well enough here, and Levine looked like he enjoyed playing in it, so that made the performance fun to watch. So now I'm going to take another break and play another promo. When I come back, mind games. Hang around, folks. It began with the return of an ancient evil. Ah! After 10,000 years, I'm free! Alpha, we just escaped. Recruit a team of teenagers with attitude. This is the story of five teenagers. Not teenagers! Yes, teenagers. Specifically chosen to keep our planet safe as the Power Rangers! Ranger Chronicles. Every Tuesday as part of the Two True Freaks Internet Radio Network. Alright, welcome back folks. We're going to finish this episode off with Mind Games. Episode 22 of Season 3. Original broadcast date was October 20th, 1991. Directed by Hugh Martin. And written by Lex Luthor himself, Sherman Howard. Guest cast included 
Sherman Howard as Lex Luthor. And that is the only guest cast in this episode. Only three characters appear in this episode. Superboy, Lana, and Luthor. And I don't even know if Lana had any lines, now that I think about it. She spent most of the time, most of this episode trying to uh, get her leg unpinned from a piece of uh, rock. So Sherman Howard did not waste uh, any script space on anyone other than Lex Luthor. Let's just put it that way. And the hour synopsis is brought to you by TV.com. Lex Luthor has abducted Lana and takes her into a mine shaft with Superboy on his heels. Once they're inside, Luthor pulls out a chunk of kryptonite, weakening him. When Luthor throws Lana aside, she falls against a support beam and the shaft begins to cave in. Superboy uses what strength he has to hold up the beam so Lana can get out, but he and Luthor get sealed in, knocked unconscious. Superboy wakes up, pinned beneath the beam, and with the kryptonite next to him, keeping him powerless. He wakes up Luthor to get him to move the kryptonite, but due to close quarters, he's unable to move it far. Superboy remains pinned beneath the beam. As a result, Luthor feels safe enough to taunt the Boy of Steel. Help me. Bombs away. <laughs> You're dead, meet Superboy, a dead duck. Dead as a dodo. Look around, Luther. If I'm dead, you're dead too. Shut up. We're trapped. I said shut up. Um, move it, or I'll die. Well, that's the idea. You need my help. Of course, you're right. How silly of me. <laughs> what can I do for you, boss? Get the kryptonite as far away from me as you can. Right. Best I can do. Place is kind of tiny. And now, your highness? Lana made it out. She'll bring help. Oh, goody. But she's sealed in another part of the mine, unconscious. Superboy tells Luthor that he has a plan to get out, but Luthor has other plans. He breaks Kryptonite into smaller pieces and plays a game of Kryptonite Dodgeball, tossing them at Superboy. Then they begin to fight. And Superboy has the advantage when he has the opportunity to take a shovel to Luthor's head. Luthor tries to goad Superboy into killing him, but Superboy refrains. In another part of the mine, Lana wakes up to find her leg pinned beneath the boulder. She creates a tourniquet as she uh, waits for help, recovering from their match. <laughs> now that was worth the price of admission. <laughs> I haven't had so much fun since I drowned my little sister's kittens. <laughs> You think you won that round? Well, I'm still alive. Why, you think you won? Of course I did. How do you figure? You're still alive. <laughs> you should have killed me when you had the chance. You don't think I would love to kill you, Luther? To crush you like a bug? But I've got values and rules. And the second I compromise them is the second I become a monster like you. The crushing responsibility is superpower. You make me want to puke. There's no air in here. You're running out of oxygen. The lanterns are burning it up. Like 
finally getting scared, huh? Maybe I'll just jam this down your throat, huh? You think you can threaten your way out of here? We're trapped! What happens if they don't get us out in time? You can either work with me or die. Work with you? I could take all the kryptonite and shove it to the farthest corner of this stinking hole. It wouldn't be far enough away to restore your powers. The place is so small! I saw some batteries on the way in. If we can get to them and break them open, we can use the lead to shield the kryptonite. Then I can get us out. How far in are these lead batteries? I'm not sure. My vision's cloudy, obstructed. Huh. Okay, I'll make you a deal. I help you dig. You let me go if we get out. No way. Yeah, well, there's no way I'm going to the chair. That's the chance you'll have to take. This game was your call. Maybe I'll just burn that bridge when I come to it. As they dig, Luthor asks Superboy what he wants in life. What a waste. Keep digging. I mean you. You could have had it all. Money, power, women, anything. You just have the guts to reach out and take what you want. That's not what I want. <laughs> well, what do you want? To make the world a better place. <laughs> oh God, you sound like a greeting card. <laughs> so that's why you're wasting your ability to save the world? The world isn't worth it. It is worth it. People are worth it. Ah, people are slime. Everyone blubbers about kindness and goodwill and then quietly looks out for number one. Dig. Compassion's a little too expensive for the average Joe. Survival of the fittest is the name of the game. It's the law of the jungle and everyone knows it. That's what every psychotic since Hitler used to justify himself. Shut up and dig. Superboy finds the battery he saw, but Luthor discovers that there isn't any lead inside. They hope that Lana will come through for them. Meanwhile, Lana struggles to free herself. Luthor asks again what Superboy wants in life. That's a hell of a way to cash in your chips. You know, you never really answered my question. Huh? What did you want? I mean, for yourself. More than anything else? Yeah. For you to stop bothering me. <laughs> <laughs> Looks like you're finally gonna get your wish. Ah, <laughs> oh, come on. For all time's sake, what did you really want? An ordinary life. What, you mean a house in the burbs? Wife, kids, and station wagon? The freedom to compromise. I've heard of aspiring to mediocrity, but this is ridiculous. 
How about you? What did you want more than anything else? To be king for a day. And that would make you happy. <laughs> Happiness is for pigs. The secret of joy is absolute power. Superboy has X-rayed the mind and it's, it's gonna come down. I wonder if the spots, they don't change. What are you talking about? I noticed it when I first came into the mine. Notice what? My vision penetrates normally, except for certain spots where it's cloudy or completely obstructed. Oh, your visions are weakened. That's what I thought at first, but the spots, they don't change. They don't shift back and forth when I move my eyes. They're really there. This must be a lead mine. Luthor surprises himself when his effort to motivate Superboy while using his weakened heat vision actually works. Come on, you can do better than that. Beef it up, pour on the coals. There we go, there we go. That's it. Okay, just hang in there, man. Hey, come on, you can't give up. You can't. Hey, think of, think of the... Think of the people you gotta save. Women, children, innocent victims. What, you gonna let them fend for themselves? Come on! You gonna let them all down? You gonna let the bad guys win? What am I saying? You have a duty, a responsibility! Now fight! 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 Superboy is able to melt enough lead to shield the kryptonite so his powers will return. The effort drains him, and he passes out. While Lana still tries to free herself, Superboy is now at full strength and thanks Luthor for helping him. He blasts through the rubble, drilling a hole through the mine wall, replenishing the air supply inside. The force of Superboy shifting the wall collapses a beam in Lana's part of the mine, and he arrives just in time to keep it from falling on her. As Superboy carries Lana out of the mine, Luthor comes out of the tunnel with the lead shielding reopened bringing Superboy to his knees once again. Checkmate. <laughs> this is just too easy. I'll tell you what, I'll cut you the same deal. You promise to let me go, I'll put this stuff away. I can't do that. Oh, soupy buddy, after all we've been through? Not a chance. But I'm gonna kill you. I know. And you accept that? You get to say you were gonna let me go and then grab me when you were safe. I can't do that either. Well, you just don't leave me much choice, do you? Guess not.
can do it, can you? All right, this is a, also a, mem- a memorable episode. Not one that I had recorded, but a few uh, moments from this episode were used in the season four uh, opening sequence, specifically the beam nearly falling on Lana and the reaction shot of her kind of hide from it and uh, Superboy bursting out of the mine. So that alone kept this episode in my thoughts all those years ago when I watched it. And this is the first time I've watched it start to finish since 1991 and oh this is a great episode a great character study and the two actors uh do well with what sherman howard gave them the one thing maybe this is a complaint maybe it's a nitpick being that it's written for sherman howard he kind of wrote this really more for himself than for gerard christopher i don't think this particular script does superboy any favors especially the ending and but it is meant to more so to get inside the head of Lex Luthor and to do a comparison between Superboy and Lex. So Lex Luthor has Lana held hostage for some reason. It doesn't matter what the reason is. It doesn't matter how Luthor got out of jail either. The last time we saw Lex's body swap when uh, they had to reset the electric chair, apparently he escaped before that happened. But he lures Superboy into the mine so he can kill him with kryptonite. And... Luthor is seven different kinds of crazed here. You know, grinning and... Sherman Howard clearly wrote this episode intending to ham it up. So Superboy is weakened, and there's a cave-in that I thought was caused by Superboy hitting the wall after being exposed to the kryptonite, but the synopsis says Lana caused it, but I think Superboy did by accident. Doesn't matter. It caves in. Lana seems to get through the opening before the cave-in, but the space between Superboy and... And the side of the hole is not big enough for Lex to get through. He kind of bumps into Superboy, and he's no longer able to hold the ceiling, and they're both trapped. So, we've got an interesting predicament here. Both Superboy and Lex stuck together with Kryptonite all around. The easy solution is that they're both going to die here together. Superboy by the Kryptonite, and Lex, because he's going to run out of air eventually. But the dilemma for Lex is that he needs Superboy to get out of here. And, uh... Despite the kryptonite, Superboy wakes up first. And I love how rough he is pretty much punching. He's pinned under a beam. I think they both are. And he kind of just punches Lex. Wake up! And uh, Luthor does uh, throw the kryptonite away long enough for Superboy to lift the beam off of them. I think at some point Lex is going to have to realize that Superboy is their only way out. But 
He's not ready for that yet. The question is, is Lex willing to die to kill Superboy? And it's clear as we watch this episode, and if you're paying attention to the writer, Sherman Howard, he wrote himself all the hammy dialogue that he could deliver. And uh, Superboy thinks Lana made it out, but she's down on the ground, and it looks like there's a stone on top of her. Her leg is injured. So now we're getting some kryptonite dodgeball as Lex, you know, wants to have some fun with it stuck in the mine. Breaks his one chunk of kryptonite into a bunch of little ones and is uh, throwing shards of it at Superboy. And, and this is just great. He's a little more deranged than I like Lex to be here, but Sherman Howard does a great job with it. And then they get into their fight and they're both hamming it up. I guess maybe you can attribute their behavior here to the fact that they're running out of air and maybe going a little bit crazy. And uh, they get into this tussle. And despite his weakened state, Superboy wins the fight, has the shovel in. He's about to hit Lex over, almost like bring the, the front of it down on, Lu- on Luther's throat. And there's murder in Superboy's eyes here. You can believe for a minute that he can kill Lex here and that he actually might. So now, uh, every once in a while, uh, the show, the episode will check in on Lana, who's trying to uh, get herself free uh, while the boys are going crazy in the next chamber. Lex is still laughing. And uh, now, uh, now they've gotten the uh, fist fight out of their system. If uh, they were, if they could go to a bar, they would. But now they're going to argue over who won the fight. They both say they did. Lex thinks, <laughs> and they both think they won for the same reason. Lex thinks he won because he's alive, and Superboy thinks he won because Lex is alive because he didn't uh, let Luthor go to make the killing. So <laughs> I guess uh, in their own mind, they each won the fight. And uh, Superboy's reasoning for having won. Kind of reminds me of that line from Batman v Superman, where Superman says that if I wanted it, you'd be dead already. And honestly, that is the case here. He could have killed Lex right there. Although he does say he wants to, but he says he won't. I mean, he admits he'd love to kill Luthor, but then he becomes a monster like Lex. So there's his reasoning. And I think they're running out of air, and Lex is uh, getting a little uh, giggly and a little more deranged. Maybe the lack of air is affecting his mental capacity. Or his mental faculties, rather. So Superboy uh, has got some X-ray vision power, and he can see lead batteries, and they make a deal. If Lex helps him escape, Lex can go free. Superboy won't budge on the deal, and Luthor doesn't want to go to the chair. Can't say I blame him. But Superman tells Luthor that he'll have to take the chance. When you think about it, Lex has no negotiating power here. He will either certainly die here in the mine from a lack of air, or if they get out, Maybe he gets the chair, should they live. But he'll still argue. But meanwhile, the mine uh, reminds them how unstable it is, and uh, he decides he'll chance the chair and help Superboy escape. So now Lex is going to judge Superboy for his morality, for not just reaching out and taking power. It's not what Superboy wants. He comments that he wants to make the world a better place. And Lex finds that hilarious and uh, says he sounds sounds like a greeting card, which I guess he does. He calls that a waste of his abilities. Uh, Lex doesn't think the world is worth it, and he points out that most people only look out for themselves. He's uh, not necessarily wrong. Uh, Look at all the reckless behavior we're seeing uh, during the COVID-19 pandemic, which is hopefully a few uh, months closer to ending when this episode comes out than it is now on November 30th. But, you know, Lex isn't necessarily wrong about people being selfish, but that doesn't justify his crimes. It's how he justifies it to himself but it's really no justification at all eventually what superboy thought were lead batter or batteries with lead in them were some kind of carbon alloys um no lead now what 
Oh, by the way, Lana's still stuck. And uh, so now we go back to their conversation. Lex didn't buy Superboy's answer about what he wants, but then, you know, Superboy at this point is getting pretty grumpy. He just wants Lex to stop bothering him, which Luthor finds funny. And then eventually Superboy says that he wants the freedom to compromise. That's an interesting answer, and I'm not entirely sure how to take that. Obviously, he is not compromising here at all. So he does not feel he has the freedom to compromise. Lex commented on his aspirations of mediocrity, but what does that mean, the freedom to compromise? It almost sounds like he feels trapped by his abilities and his role as Superboy. Maybe he does. You know, he's still young. Maybe he's still trying to figure that out. But I do think, I'm not entirely sure Sherman Howard gets the character here. He's got Luthor down, but I think his understanding of Superboy is a little off. And like I said, this episode doesn't really do Superboy any favor. It doesn't really make him look good. Let's put it to you that way. So Lex, meanwhile, wants to be king for a day. And to him, the secret to joy is absolute power. Which, that's about as Lex Luthor as you can get there. So now we uh, solve the mystery of Superboy's extracted X-ray vision. At first, he thought it was because his, heat, his vision powers were weakened. Lex even says that. But then Superboy realizes the spots don't move with his eyes. So he determines that they're in a fixed place. So if it's something he can't see through, it took us about 15 minutes to realize dun, da, 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 they're in a lead mine. So now Lex has uh, turned into a coach. He is uh, encouraging Superboy to uh, burrow through the uh, mine with his heat vision to, to liquefy some of that lead. So, and honestly says, are you going to let the bad guys win? And I like, I do like that he's self-aware to know that he's making things ultimately harder on himself. I think even after he says that, are you going to let the bad guys win? He's kind of like, oh, what am I saying? So I do like that Lex is self-aware enough to know what he's doing. But you know what? He's got to get out of here, and he knows Superboy is the only way out. So they eventually uh, dig out some lead. Lex covered it up, wrapped the kryptonite around it, and uh, Superboy passes out. Lex thinks he's dead and it. Shaking him and slapping him, trying to wake him, but, you know, no good, uh, at least for now. And now, after the episode makes its uh, regular check on Lana, Lex asks Superboy if he's feeling better, and uh, instead of just saying yes, like a normal person, Superboy bends the shovel in front of him, showing off, much to uh, Lex's disgust, and we even get a nice uh, Sherman Howard eye roll out of this. And then Superboy thanks him, and uh, we get more ir- irritated Luthor. So, fully restored, Superboy breaks out of the mine and catches the beam, before it falls on Lana, who uh, just asked what took him so long before she passes out. So, here is Lex, and he's got Superboy in checkmate. Lex can win right here. And uh, he's got the kryptonite. He can kill Superboy right here. Superboy has no way out of this. Again, Lex offers him a deal. You let me go, I put the kryptonite away. And Superboy is appropriately stubborn. He will not let Lex go, and he's going to make Luthor kill him. But, right here... Superboy needs to exercise that freedom of compromise that he wants so much. There is something to living to fight another day and something to picking your battles. This is not the battle for Superboy to pick. Lana's hurt, probably needs medical attention. If he lets Lex kill him right here based on principle, that leaves Lana at Luthor's mercy. Letting Lex go to save Lana is the right play here. And Lex is going to do it, at least we think he is, but... He wants to, but he doesn't. I'm not going to say Lex can't kill himself because he's done it. I mean, he 
hasn't been just as happy since the day he killed his sister's cat. But maybe there is some honor in not killing Superboy because he just saved his life. I kind of wish that Lu- that this show had shown Luthor and Superboy as friends at one point. Because I think that would have added to Luthor's inability to kill Superboy right here. It's basically left to the viewer to decide why Luthor didn't go through with it. All he does is kind of put some kryptonite around Superboy so he can't really follow him quickly. I guess that's enough space for Superboy to get up. I guess Superboy can't get out of that, but not uh, fast enough to catch Luthor. So that was a great and memorable episode. I think Sherman Howard's writing shows a clear understanding of Lex, but kind of a rudimentary understanding of Superboy. I think Superboy was a little too stubborn at the end and not thinking of Lana. It's a decent character study of Lex and Superboy, but I think Sherman Howard writing this for himself showed a clear bias toward Luthor. And honestly, I think Superboy would have let Lex go to save Lana here and gone to pick him up another day. So I thought he was needlessly stubborn here. So this was a great episode, well-written. I didn't record this one, but it was very memorable. And I really hope this show is still available somewhere streaming after uh, the DC Universe goes away. I don't know if HBO Max is going to pick it up, but I wouldn't mind uh, watching this episode on a, on a streaming service at some other time just to enjoy it and not analyze it. But I'll have to see what happens. Whatever it is, might have actually happened by the time this episode comes uh, comes out. So anyway, next time. Superboy accidentally makes a bad deal in A Wish for Armageddon, and uh, Clark Kent and the Bureau staff are held hostage in Standoff. Until then, feedback is always welcome. Man screen at gmail.com. If you want to join the conversation over the Facebook group, just put Man screen Podcast in your search feed and the show should come up. You can also find the show on Twitter at Manascreencast. Until next time, folks, we're all on the same team. Good night. The Man of Screen Podcast is produced by Mike Zumo, and all opinions expressed on the show are those of Mike Zumo and his guests and no one else. All music and sound clips used on the show are for review purposes only, and no copyright infringement is intended. All music and sound clips are copyright their original copyright owners. The Man of Screen is a member of the Two True Freaks Internet Radio Network and can be found at www.twotruefreaks.com. Emails of this show can be sent to manofscreen at gmail.com. And you can also leave the show review on iTunes. That will help others find the show. Thank you for listening to the Man of Screen Podcast.